Welcome to the next in a series of Ask a Chair podcasts brought to you by SAEM Rams. Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah Poggi. I'm a resident at Loma Linda University, and I'm joined today by Dr. Leah Walters, who's the interim chair of emergency medicine at Loma Linda University. So, Dr. Walters, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. So we'll get started with um, our first question. And I think this is a common question from uh, students and residents for uh, chair faculty, but was being in academia or a department chair or in department leadership always in the cards for you? Or was this more of an organic evolution of your career? Well, I would like to say that I had this all pre-planned, but truthfully, it my role developed more organically. I knew I always wanted to be in academia. I love working in the atmosphere. I, I've worked in a community setting, and it's just so much more invigorating to be in that kind of learning environment where people are always kind of pushing you to know more, and you're enjoying that kind of intellectual stimulation so, but at least to start, I never considered being in a leader posi- uh, leadership position in the ED. Along the way, and I'll tell you, I've been an ED physician for over 20 years. So along the way, I've really been very fortunate to have mentors um, throughout my career who've helped me grow and give me a nudge in different directions. I've had the opportunity to try a lot of different things. I was an assistant um, program director for the residency for a year. I've done uh, other leadership roles, and that has just kind of allowed me to progress where I am now. It's given me a lot of unique opportunities. So what I would definitely recommend is that as you're getting into your uh, new roles as even as residents, when you have an opportunity, uh, somebody picks you for something, then I would definitely recommend that you try it out, even if it doesn't seem like it's exactly what you're interested in. Because the more experience you have, the better you can kind of look at different opportunities and know if they fit what you want to do eventually. And a lot of times we don't know what we, you know, where we want to finally be. And so just having that breadth of experience, I think is really helpful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's sort of when we push ourselves is when we grow, but sometimes we need other people to help us sort of take that. That's smart though, to explore things that you didn't initially see yourself in. The next question is is sort of, it dovetails nicely off of that, but It's how these previous leadership roles may have helped prepare you for this current role as interim chair, and then how this role differs from those roles. So I would say almost all of my roles prior to being interim chair have been very detail-oriented, more operational, more like here's a task, here's a project, accomplish that task, uh, successfully complete the project. And, you know, it's not that everything is being directed above you, but it's really very process oriented. Being interim chair differs in that you're still looking at those things, but you're not the one that's necessarily enacting them, making them happen. Your job is to be 
um, have more global view, the 20,000 foot view, if you will, of what's going on in every part of the department and looking at where you want the department to go, how you want it to grow, what the what the end goals are. So it's a, it's a much broader view than say medical director or some of these other roles. And it's an opportunity just to help the department grow, help those that are in the department reach their potential. It's really quite different and you know a very exciting position to be in. I guess the circumstances that you began uh, being interim chair were probably similar to others in some ways and different in other ways, but, you know, you started this position less than a year prior to COVID changing the landscape dramatically. How do the first few months of the pandemic compare to more recently um, and what have been the biggest takeaways for you? So it, it's funny that you should bring this up because I remember when I first started, we had just opened up our advanced urgent care and that was really an adjustment for everybody within the department. And so I saw that as my biggest challenge, that and getting ready to move into our new hospital. Right. And of course, never foresaw the whole COVID experience. So, which has, you know, just eclipsed all those, all those other things. So COVID was definitely a steep learning curve. Things at the beginning were changing minute by minute, almost literally, at least hourly. And the only way I would say that you can successfully deal with a challenge like that is just, you really need to be present and you needed to be, and by present, you have to be right there where the decisions are making and being available. I was really fortunate. I also had very strong operational leadership that was in the hospital, in the command center, And we have a very strong collaboration with ED Nursing. And between all of those pieces, we were able to step up what we were doing very quickly and respond to the changing needs um, as they came up. Because, you know, I think everybody across the U.S., we, we didn't know what to expect and we were just responding. So I think being part of the whole decision-making process. And, and that means you just, you need to be there, make sure that you have a voice at the table. Now that the initial phase of COVID response is over, I think the main takeaway is figuring out how do you move forward and get out of that crisis mode? I mean, we still have the concerns, but we can't operate in continual crisis mode. So I think for us right now, for uh, ED leadership, that's our main focus, how to get processes in place that can move us back to, you know, whatever that new normal is so that it doesn't always feel like you're operating in crisis mode. ED docs are used to dealing with crisis and disaster situations, and we really respond well to that. But I don't think any of us went into our careers to you know, be in that state of mind continually. And the unique thing about COVID is it's affected not only work, but everything at home, you know, chores, it's every aspect of our life. So I would like to see that 
at least in our work environment, we can remove some of the stress of that crisis piece so that our staff feel like it's business as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, trying to like transition, I'm sure it's sort of a step-by-step thing that's happening everywhere with yeah. COVID being so far reaching and affecting, you know, sort of all levels of the ED, including, you know, our learners, what advice would you provide for our listeners who may start, you know, new roles or leadership roles um, in times of crisis? Probably the best advice is to just embrace it. You're going to be there for a while, even if it's not a COVID kind of experience. So jump in with both feet, immerse yourself in the issues, be as much a part of the decision-making process that you can, and then carefully select those around you who are there to help you and seek out the people above you who can, you know, give you good advice and who have experience so that they can give you that the information and give you ways to respond. So, I mean, nobody expects that you're going to know everything and especially about something like like COVID. But as a new leader, you're expected to need some assistance. So don't be afraid to ask for it. Pivoting uh, just a little bit, I guess, your research in areas, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, but have included um, emergency departments, response to terrorism events, post-cardiac arrest care, bundle feasibility, use of pro-BMP cutoffs for heart failure diagnosis in the ED. And I think I also read like intergenerational communication tools. Mm-hmm. And then how did your interest in these areas develop? Well, probably like many ED docs, I think I have a little bit of ADD. So, but my real research love is disaster medicine. That, that's my special area of interest in emergency medicine. I been on a disaster medical team since my residency and was very fortunate to have some great experiences there. I was deployed to the World Trade Center after 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina, as well as some smaller incidents. So when opportunities like that come up, like they did with the San Bernardino uh, terrorism event, to be involved in research in that area is, is just you know a no-brainer for me because that's what I love to do. In that particular research, what we were doing was looking at all the hospitals in the area and that responded and seeing what um, processes they kind of circumvented in order to deliver care to the patients. And it, so it was interesting to see that Actually, a lot of the stuff that we were doing kind of ad hoc, other places were doing as well. And it just was finding workarounds. And um, some of the things that we did were unique compared to them. And I felt like these are ways that other hospitals, other EDs responding to a disaster could benefit from seeing some of the different things that we did. As far as my other research, A couple of things. I've been part of the AWEP, ASEP Women's uh, Chapter, Women's Emergency Physicians Chapter um, for several years. And a few years ago, 
uh, was involved in a grant that looked at intergenerational communication. And so that's been, especially as in a leadership role in the ED, just looking at the unique abilities of all the different generations and the ED is, I mean, we work with all different generations. So we need to know how to communicate and basically to use the best of each of those uh, generations. And then the uh, ProBNP and other research is, uh, as medical director, I was working closely with our cardiology colleagues. And so, you know, those were kind of a fit with some of that work that I was doing. So some of it was like organic to the situation that you were in and others were opportunities that had sort of been open to you either by like passion projects or um, by being a part of the like women leadership organization. Um, yeah, I absolutely. That, I think that's really good advice for residents to sort of take away or even medical students is just sort of setting yourself up to be exposed to those opportunities. Yeah, especially like as women emergency physicians, we've got a very strong group within ASEP and SAEM and medical students, residents, brand new attendings, old attendings, we all can be involved in that. And I think it's really an opportunity to find mentors and sponsors and see how other people have overcome some of the challenges that that you have in your career. So it's a great opportunity. But you said it perfectly, passion projects. I think that kind of covers the second portion of that question, which was, you know, what's the best advice that you received or that you would want residents who are interested in research, in a research career or focused career to know? Um, It sounds like that's part of it. Is there maybe more? Yeah. So what, you know, find what you're interested in, find faculty who are interested in it. We're really lucky here to have a research department, a research director, And they are so helpful in getting residents um, through the process of developing a project, getting it approved through the IRB, getting it up and running. And so, you know, if there's something that you feel passionate about, they're the ones to go, even to help you get an idea if you've not got something fully formed in your mind. So find faculty that are working in the areas you're working or find your own, choose your own adventure. I think that's a a thing that a lot of us in the ED like to do anyways. (laughs) Let's see. What, I guess, uh, pivoting away from research a little bit, what advice do you have for the future generations of physicians in emergency medicine who are going to be looking to juggle research or academic pursuits, clinical careers, you know, student education or mentorship roles, um, and overall wellness? My advice has both kind of practical pieces and some ideological pieces. I'd say, I don't know why there's a little feedback, sorry. For the practical, I'd say it's really important to find a practice that feels like the right fit. And I would kind of compare that to choosing your specialty when you're a medical student and trying to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life, basically. So it's not just weeding out what you don't want to do. You have to find what you really want to do. So ED docs have different talents. And so, for example, if you're a more 
numbers, data, goal-oriented kind of person, then you'd probably thrive in a setting where metrics are carefully monitored and, you know, salary is based on RBUs and, and that kind of environment because it will stimulate you and get you going. Think about the population you want to serve. So if do you want to be in a county setting? Do you want to be in a community hospital, academic setting? Think about where you want to live. So all the kind of practical things that will impact just the, the feel of, of your practice. And at least early on, I would definitely recommend don't pile on the shifts. So once you move from a um, resident to attending, you know, as resident, you're working, you're used to working a ton of shifts and it's enticing to do that as an attending because obviously your salary is going to be a lot higher than as a resident, but it's just, I, I think, a road to burnout. So find a group that you really mesh with and feel like, to me, the only way I can say it is it feels like home to you. From an ideological perspective, I mean, we all love the ED environment, but it does take its toll. And I think that's one of the lessons we're learning right now due to COVID. Uh, So it's really important to know your limits and find ways to refresh your spirit. So wellness is the buzzword right now. So, but I don't think we should use it lightly. Uh, It's extremely important to Find what it is about emergency medicine that you love and when to leave work at work, how you refill your tank. So make sure that you take time to do that. And also, I would say know what your personal warning signs are. And if you don't know them, make sure the people around you know them so that they can say, hey, you need to take a little break. It's like getting hangry. You know, we know it kind of sneaks up on you and you you see that you're kind of responding in a certain way and you go, oh, wait a minute, I need to eat. It's kind of the same thing, but sometimes we don't see it and it's, it's our loved ones around us who see it. So be open to that feedback because it's the only way that you can have a long career in emergency medicine. Yeah, I think that's really salient. I feel like that's a salient piece of advice. It's also an oft given piece of advice in emergency medicine that I've heard that, you know, the, you know, the vibe is important for picking your program or picking your um, practice location or your group. And it's really smart to, you know, talk about the the buddy system in, in effect, you know, have somebody that can check in on you and sort of help you realize where you are. I think that's, I think that's really important for medical students, residents, and faculty. One of the nice things is that if you do choose an environment that you find out later is not exactly the right fit, don't just stick with it because it's either a high paying job or, you know, what, or there it's an elite um, group or something like that, you know, do the thing that will be good for you in the long, for the long term. Mm-hmm. Sort of using that uh, 20,000 foot view in essence. <laughs> well, any last pieces of, I suppose, somewhat solicited because they're listening to the podcast <laughs> advice for medical students or residents or young faculty? Well, you've covered quite a bit with these questions. And so I would say that 
probably the one thing that I have done that's made my career the most, it makes me feel successful in what, I, what I'm doing is that I've taken the time and other people have taken the time to develop friendships with the people you're working with. And your coworkers, they're the ones who know exactly what you're going through. They can commiserate, they can celebrate, all of those things. So take time, don't make it just a job, uh, really make it something that's important to you and that the people are important and you can, you can go a long time. Well, thank you so much for all of your wise words and for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to be with us on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Sarah. I'll see you on the floor. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) 